You're listening to a sermon preached at University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, theupc.org. This season of Lent, we have started a, a study, a series on the Gospel of Mark. And this series is about increasing our gospel fluency as a church and as a family of faith. And uh, Pastor George did a great job on last Sunday talking about eavesdropping on the gospel. And we want to continue in that spirit. Uh, we want to continue to study through the gospel of Mark. And I would call your attention to Mark chapter 1, verses 14 to 28. It's located in your pew hymnals on page 812. You may stand if you're able And we will read the scriptures together in unison. Mark chapter 1, verses 14 to 28. Let us read together. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. As Jesus passed along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you fish for people. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And he went a little farther. He saw James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John, and they were in their boat mending the nets. Immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, he entered the synagogue and taught. They were astounded at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Just then there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying with a loud voice, came out of him. They were all amazed, and they kept on asking one another, What is this, a new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. At once his fame began to spread throughout the surrounding region of Galilee. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. You may be seated. The title of our lesson today is The Gospel and Authority, but if I would choose a subtitle, it would be Building our gospel vocabulary, building our gospel vocabulary. One of the things we notice in the gospel of Mark is that Mark uh, uses uh, language, gospel language. Pastor George has done a great job in unfolding uh, what the gospel looks like, but every Sunday we will be adding a new word to our gospel fluency. 
And this word that we're adding today is authority, and we'll be looking at the relationship between the gospel and authority. But as I begin to read this passage of Scripture, I begin to look at it from another aspect, and I begin to ask myself the question, what does it take to learn a new language? Uh, What does it really take to learn a new language? And I, I remember it oh so well when I was in seminary, and I was taking uh, biblical Greek. And one of the things that I, I, the first thing I did, some of the students who had already been through the class, they said, what you need to do is get you some vocab cards. And, and what I began to do, those of you who have been in seminary of taking some classes in Greek, you, uh, any language classes, you got to have a good vocabulary. You got to learn uh, the Greek language. You got to uh, memorize the, the Greek language. And so as I began to uh, take these Greek cards everywhere I went, I went to Starbucks, I went everywhere I went. Uh, my wife, we would go to the grocery store. I had my Greek cards with me. Uh, I lived and breathed Greek. Uh, and I discovered that in order to learn any language, you have to immerse yourself in that language. Uh, You have to immerse yourself, you have to learn that language and become conversant in it. And I thought about that, I thought about that in terms of what I had to do in Greek, and I think in this particular passage of Scripture, and as we study the Gospels, and particularly the Gospel of Mark, Jesus is teaching the disciples uh, new words. He's giving them a, a fresh definition of of what the gospel looks like. He's giving them a fresh definition of new words that they will have to learn as they move forward and uh, make momentum in terms of gospel fluency. And I think all of us, brothers and sisters, as we become more mature followers of Jesus Christ, uh, we've got to learn to use the language that Jesus uses. Uh, We have to increase our gospel vocabulary if we're going to be able to articulate our faith uh, in every aspect of our lives. I think it was uh, Francis of Assisi who said, uh, at least it was attributed to him, that preach the gospel and if necessary, use words. And I think that's very true because the gospel must be preached uh, with words, but it also must be preached with our lifestyle. And so here in the Gospel of Mark, in verses 14 to 28, we begin to see uh, Jesus and the disciples. We begin to see uh, Jesus beginning to teach the disciples a, a new language. And verse 14 and 15 is a summary statement that Mark uses before he begins to explain in verses 16 through 28 what the gospel looks like and what authority looks like in the gospel. Uh, Look at verse 14. It says, now after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee proclaiming the good news of God and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. Then that's parked right there a little while because there's a lot embedded in those first two verses. 
First of all, we see a continuity between the ministry of John the baptizer and the ministry of Jesus. John stated earlier that he must decrease and that Christ must increase. And so we see John coming off the scene and Jesus beginning his earthly ministry. Now, there's continuity between John and Jesus because Jesus is doing the same thing John is doing in the sense that he's proclaiming the good news. He's preaching the good news. There must be a proclamation of the word of God. Uh, but not only is Jesus proclaiming the good news, but his miracles come to authenticate what he's professing and what he's proclaiming. And so Mark says that Jesus came proclaiming the good news. Pastor George talked about what the good news means, but in this particular passage, uh, it's in some transcripts, it says the good news from God, uh, which implies that God, the Father, God, the Son, God, the Holy Spirit is the source of this gospel that we're proclaiming. That he is the source, nothing else in the world is the source. Only God is the source of this good news. And and we have to keep that in mind because many times uh, uh, when we hear the word of God, when we hear the gospel, this gospel is not our own, it comes from God the Father. It comes from God the Father. And so verse 15 says in saying, the time is fulfilled. Now, another key word here is the word time. There are two words that are often used in uh, the Gospels as it relates to time. One is chronos. Chronos is the time that we use on our watches, on our clocks, on our phones. But then there is another word that is called kairos. Kairos is that, uh, that time that when God says, it is time for my purpose to come to fruition. Uh, it, it is a fulfillment uh, when God begins to orchestrate things and that time comes when God's promise comes to fruition. And so here Jesus says the time is fulfilled. And what Jesus is implying here is that the kingdom has come. The kingdom is near. And what he's implying is that wherever the king is, There you have the kingdom. Wherever Jesus shows up, he is a manifestation of the kingdom of God. And it's important because many times in our own lives, uh, God will say something to you. God will make something clear to you that this time has come, that your kairos time has come. He says, and the kingdom of God has come near. Then he uses another key word that we must add to our gospel vocabulary, and that is the word repent. Uh, This word repent comes from the Greek word metanoia. Uh, Metanoia means a change of mind. Meta means change. Uh, Noose means mind. Metanoia, a change of mind. But it also means a change, a lifestyle change, that we turn over a new leaf. Uh, That when we believe in Jesus Christ, when we repent, we make a commitment to make a turnaround uh, toward our, from our former way of life 
and we begin to follow God. Jesus consistently preaches the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. The implication here is that our belief system, the good news, we must have a good news state of mind. Uh, That as Christians, God has called us to be proclaimers of good news. Uh, That we must always be in a gospel state of mind. So no matter where we are, no matter whether we're on our in our homes, on our jobs, God declares that we should have a good news state of mind. In other words, if anyone comes to you as a Christian, you should not have a spirit of negativity. Amen, somebody. But there should be a positive uh, uh, vocabulary that you have, uh, instead of seeing the glass half empty, as Christians, God has called us to see the glass half full. And so we have been called uh, not only to repent, but to believe in the good news. Now that we've gotten the vocabulary out of the way, we see three key words in there, the word time, we see the word repent, and we see the word believe, but then... Mark begins to, uh, begins to unfold what this looks like in these two pericopes in scripture. Uh, these two pericopes, verses 16 to 20, and then verses 21 to 28. Now I'm gonna have to take some shortcuts across the field, cause I don't have as much time to, to preach this. Now here in verse 16 to 20, we find Jesus calling four men to follow him. Uh, We find Jesus calling uh, Andrew and Peter. We find Jesus calling uh, James and John. And we find that as Mark immediately tells us, he uses the word immediately or straightway to imply that they didn't even give it a second thought about following Jesus. That they followed him sooner than at once and quicker than right now. (laughs) They followed Jesus with no questions. And there's a lesson for us in in this pericope in the sense that they had to detach themselves from their occupation, from their vocation, and follow Jesus wholeheartedly. When Jesus said, follow me to these four men, it meant that they would follow him to be like him. It meant that they would spend 24 hours a day with Jesus. And it meant that they would be immersed in the gospel. You know, it's kind of like when you learn a new language, you have to be immersed in it. You, you have to uh, be immersed in a, in a new language if you're really going to learn it. And so in order for these disciples to understand or to build their gospel vocabulary, they had to spend some quality time with Jesus. Uh, they had to spend some concentrated time with Jesus. And Jesus, uh, as he begins to disciple these men, they had to submit to his authority. They had to submit to the fact uh, that he 
he went to them and they didn't come to him. Now, I think it's interesting that, uh, that Jesus went to some blue collar workers to follow him. It, normally in, in this culture, rabbis went to the most astute students. They, they went to men who uh, were smart, who were intelligent, who had finished uh, rabbinical school. They, they went to men who had some kind of pedigree about themselves. But Jesus chose some fishermen. Jesus chose some, some men that, that no one else would have chosen to follow him. I thought about that in my own life, that God often chooses us. There's nothing about our pedigree. There's nothing that, that's so great about us that God would choose us. That humbles me, brothers and sisters, and it should humble you as well, that God chose us in spite of us. I, I love this text in the sense that when you look at James and John, they leave their father's business, uh, they leave Zebedee, and they leave the hired men and follow Jesus immediately. Now, in that particular culture, you, you would usually succeed your father and you would continue the family business. But James and John, having been followers of John the baptizer, having heard John talk about Jesus all the time, when Jesus came on the scene, they had already been accustomed to hearing the gospel message. But yet, James and John left their father. In this culture, it, it, was, it was disrespectful to leave your family, to detach yourself from your family and follow a rabbi, but yet they did follow Jesus. They became, they would be, begin on this gospel immersion journey where they would learn the vocabulary of Jesus Christ. And so then we, we see this pericope where they submit to Jesus. They submit to his leadership. They follow the, the king and, and Jesus begins to disciple them. But then there's another contrast here in verses 21 to 28. In verses 16 to 20, you have disciples who submit their will to Jesus' will, and they begin to follow him. But in verses 21 to 28, Jesus shows up in Capernaum, and then he shows up at a synagogue, and the synagogue was a place of worship. It was a place of where people were taught uh, the Torah, it was a place, it was like a school, it was a place of worship, but it was a place of learning as well. And so here in verses 21 to 28, it unfolds that as they begin to listen to Jesus in verse 22, it says they were astounded at his teaching for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. They begin to notice that Jesus wasn't quoting from any extra biblical material. Uh, they begin to notice that Jesus, uh, like, the, like the scribes, they would often quote from other material to authenticate their message. But as they begin to listen to Jesus, Jesus was talking like he was the source. They begin to notice that when Jesus began to preach 
and teach, uh, the words began to flow off of Jesus' tongue as if he was uh, 60 years old and here he was a 30-year-old man. He was a young adult. And so here we find Jesus teaching with authority. And this is a, a, a key a point, turning point for our understanding and understanding the fact that Jesus is the source. And now we, many times we get our sources and our resources mixed up. We treat the cars that we drive like it's the source when it's only a resource. We treat the houses that we live in, the homes that we have like it's a source and it's only a resource. Uh, we treat the clothes that we wear like it's the source when it's only a resource. And we're getting our resources mixed up with the source. Because if you didn't, if Jesus didn't wake you up in the morning, you wouldn't be able to put on your resources. If Jesus didn't clothe you in your right mind this morning, you wouldn't have the right, the, enough sense to get in your car to drive to point A to point B. If Jesus didn't wake you up this morning, you would not be able to enjoy the resources of your home. And so we must understand there must be a paradigm shift in our lives where we worship the giver and not the gift. Where we will not get our resources mixed up with the source. Amen. You can say amen to that. And so here in this text, we begin to understand why we can submit to the authority of, of Jesus Christ because he is our source. Then it goes on to say that as Jesus was teaching in the synagogue, a man with an unclean spirit shows up. I think it's interesting because whenever you see the word unclean spirit, it means this individual is demon possessed. This person has a demon in him. I think it's interesting that uh, demons would feel comfortable in a religious institution. <laughs> now, most of the time when you read in the Gospels, the demons were out in the wilderness or they would be on the side of the road. But this particular demon shows up at this synagogue and he's calm, cool, and collective until Jesus shows up. He shows up, and, and I think it's interesting also that this demon shows up. He's not intimidated by the scribes. He's not, he's not terrorized by the scribes. But when Jesus shows up, when he shows up, he says, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Now, another Another observation in this text is understand that demons are fluent in the gospel. They know the scriptures. They know who Jesus is. But the only problem is they don't believe the gospel. They have an abstract understanding of the gospel, but they don't believe it to the point where their, their lives are changed. And that, that tells me, brothers and sisters, that sometimes as, as Christians, sometimes we can have a abstract knowledge of the gospel which puts us in a vulnerable position when the gospel is only cerebral and has not made it down into the corridors of our hearts. Amen. In other words, there must be 
a connection between our orthodoxy and our orthopraxy. That we must have a right belief, but we must have the practice to go with that belief. And so don't, don't be like the unclean spirit. Don't be like the demons that only have an abstract knowledge of God. But then this demon begins to cry out. And the people are watching Jesus. How is he going to handle this? Because they've been watching this man show up at the synagogue for years now. They've been watching him and the scribes have ignored him. Uh, they know that he's out of his mind, so they don't pay any attention to him. But then when Jesus shows up, the demon begins to speak out against Jesus. And Jesus says to the demon, be silent and come out of him. Now, unclean spirit, it says that he was convulsing and he came out of the man. As everybody was watching how it unfolded, they began to ask the question, what is this? A new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits and even they obey him. And at once his fame began to spread throughout the surrounding region of Galilee. As we contrast these two passages of scripture, we have disciples who willfully follow Jesus and they submit to his authority. And then we have a demon-possessed man and the demons unwillingly submit to Jesus' authority. And Jesus has to command them to come out of this man. And so we have these two contrasting elements of the authority of Jesus, but each one has to submit. You can either submit willfully and follow Jesus, or you can submit unwillingly, and you eventually still have to submit to the authority of Jesus Christ. And I, I, I love this, this, this contrast between the two because we find ourselves as Christians caught between these two because it's much better to cooperate with the sovereignty of God than to fight with the sovereignty of God. It's much better to follow Jesus and, and not be antagonistic to Jesus Christ. And so, brothers and sisters, I, I just want to say to you today as we look at this passage of Scripture that as you live out your Christian life, cooperate with Jesus. <laughs> cooperate with him. Don't, don't fight against him. Your, your arms are too short to box with God. I want to encourage you today to submit to the authority of Jesus because he's worthy of our authority. He's worthy of our praise. You see, Jesus is a native speaker of the gospel. He's a native speaker of the gospel. In order to become fluent in the gospel, we must become a friend and a follower of Jesus Christ. Uh, we must become, uh, immerse ourselves in the gospel of Jesus Christ. I like the way uh, Carter G. Woodson put it, and I don't know if he was speaking of Jesus when he said it, but it makes good sense. Carter G. Woodson is the founder of black history, and as we celebrate black history during the month of February, I, I thought I would hear what he had to say. 
And Carter G. Wilson put it this way. He says, the real servant of the people must live among them. Think with them. Feel for them. And die for them. The real servant of the people must live among them. Is, is that not what Jesus did? The word became flesh and dwelt among us. The real servant of the people must think with them. Is that not what Jesus did as he walked the dusty roads of Jerusalem? He thought with us. He taught us how to think. The real servant of the people must feel for them. Is it not? Didn't Jesus have compassion when he fed 5,000 with two fish and some loaves of bread? The real servant of the people must die for them. Is that not what Jesus did as he died on the cross and rose again? I want to encourage you today to follow the native speaker of the gospel. Because when you, when you hang around somebody who already knows the language, you become fluent just by hanging with them. You become fluent just by spending time with them. But not only that, one of the things that we notice in this text is when Jesus started his ministry, he called a small group together. He started a small group ministry. Now, there's a hint there for many of you. <laughs> because one of the things that, you, that I've learned is that you cannot learn to be fluent in the gospel in isolation. I remember when I was in seminary and I was studying Greek in isolation. I, I figured that if I began to study Greek in isolation and if I had my vocab cards, I would become fluent in biblical Greek. And then it dawned on me one day when my wife told me. <laughs> that you need a tutor. That you need some friends to study biblical Greek with. That you need someone, you need a community of faith where you can become fluent in biblical Greek. What am I saying to you today? That you cannot become Christian, a Christian in isolation. You cannot become fluent in the gospel by just studying the Bible for yourself. Uh, you need to be a part of a small group. You need to be a part of people who are becoming or committed to becoming fluent in the gospel in community. Amen? Amen. Amen. So I want to encourage you today to submit to the authority of Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you today for your son Jesus. We thank you, dear God, that because of Jesus, we, we have the privilege and the power of this gospel. We have access to your wisdom, Lord God. And we pray, Father God, that as we continue to embark on this journey of building our gospel vocabulary, that we will do it not in isolation, but that we would do it in community. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. For more UPC audio or to find out about service times, visit us at upc.org. All online audio is available on CD and cassette. To order copies of sermons and classes, please visit upc.org audio, email audio at upc.org, or call 206-524-7301, extension 117.